We are quickly approaching the moment of piercing light. The light of Texas football stadiums. Jay even alluded to the Alito football season starting. And in Texas, you travel around the cities, you travel around the countryside on Friday nights, and you can be miles out in the middle of nowhere, but you will see the piercing of the darkness at football stadiums. And you pull into those football stadiums and you see the light and the light is illuminating a field out in the middle often of nowhere. But everyone in that stadium can see everything that happens on the field. You see every play. You see every call. And if it's against your team, you let the refs know that you don't like that call because you are able to clearly see it because of the light. And yet, that doesn't change your life. It has no impact on your life except for maybe the moment, the passion, the joy, the anger, the glee, whatever the case may be. But you go home the next week and it does nothing for your life. Beyond a few superficial things. And yet Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. Jesus was a light that pierced the darkness. But what does that mean? How does the light that Jesus brought into the world differ from the light of a football stadium? How does it impact my life? How does it change my world? This morning I want us to think about Jesus' statement, I am the light. As we continue thinking about the I am statements of Jesus, So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to John chapter 8, and we're going to look at the statement that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world. And I want us, first of all, to consider in what way is Jesus the light of the world, and then think about how do I respond to that light. So notice it with me, if you will. We've already alluded to the verse at hand, John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, or again spoke words to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's the statement that Jesus makes. I am the light of the world, so that those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's a pretty big claim. I came for a purpose, to bring light into the world so that those who follow me won't live in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. Notice the context in which Jesus speaks these words. We need to get a broader picture of what's going on as Jesus makes this statement. And not just rip this one verse out of out of context, but understand, what is Jesus saying? What's going on here? 
And the broader context as we look is one of those moments in time in which Jesus is found in the midst of a confrontation with the Jewish leadership. The crowds are following Jesus. There are some that are really into Jesus. And they're believing what Jesus is saying. And yet there are some Jewish leaders who are hearing Jesus and seeing Jesus and they want nothing to do with it. In fact, the context is they have tried to have Jesus arrested. Unsuccessfully. But they've tried to have Jesus arrested. Notice the precise context in which Jesus is saying this. Look at John chapter 7 and verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, that is the chief priests and the Pharisees, to the officers, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, saying, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed him. Has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. So the context of Jesus in John chapter 8 and verse 12 saying, I am the light of the world, takes place in a broader context in which Jesus is preaching in Jerusalem. He's in the temple preaching. And the Jewish people are enthralled with Jesus. Even the officers who are sent to arrest Jesus are enthralled with his teaching. And they acknowledge the fact no one teaches like this guy. But the Jewish leaders who should have known better, they don't believe Jesus. So much so that they want to arrest him. Who knows what they would have done had the officers arrested Jesus on that day. But they intended to have Jesus arrested. The officers come back. Hey, we can't touch this guy. He is so popular right now. There are so many people around him. He's teaching so magnificently. There's no way we could bother, or there's no way we could try to take him into custody. You'd have chaos on your hands. And that's the context in which Jesus is teaching. Or the very narrow context in which Jesus is teaching. But as we continue to look at the text of chapter 7, we notice the broader context in which Jesus is teaching. Look at chapter 7 and verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, or some translations might say tabernacles, was near. So Jesus is celebrating the feast. He's in the temple, and he's preaching and teaching. John chapter 7, verse 2 tells us that the feast of booths, or tabernacles, is near, and now it comes upon us. As we look at the text, look at chapter 7 and verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, so the eighth day of this, of this feast, Jesus stood 
and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from, this innermost, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given. Jesus was not yet glorified. And so as we look at the context, we realize this is the Feast of the Tabernacle. Jesus is preaching in the temple on this last day of the great feast, the Feast of the Tabernacle. And what scholars and historians point out is that Jesus here quotes from Zechariah chapter 14. And Zechariah chapter 14 was one of the passages that was often read during this feast. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 14, one of the last books of the Old Testament. And let's just notice quickly some things about what Zechariah has to say. Going backwards, Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, and then you have right before that, Zechariah. Notice Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, a day is coming, the Lord, when, he, when, when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I, are, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the earth, from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and on the Mount of Olives, will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north, the other half toward the south. You will flee by my valley, or by the valley of my mountains. The valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. In that day, there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time, there will be a light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. And it will be in summer as well as winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. It's within this context of people recognizing and thinking about this chapter as we come back to John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But you see, his greater sermon on that day begins in chapter 7 when Jesus says, I am or I will pour out living water. And who drinks of the water? The living waters will flow out of him. But John tells us Jesus was talking about the fact that the Spirit would come Upon those who believe, but it wasn't going to come yet. Because Jesus 
haven't been glorified yet. Jesus hadn't died and been buried and been raised again. He was looking to that day, but he was telling his audience, he was telling those people in the temple, during this great feast, this moment that Zechariah had talked about was now upon them. The Greeks, the Romans, the Persians had all come against Israel. And Rome now occupied them. They were looking for that Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied about. We're going to come during the days of that Roman Empire. And Jesus is saying, that day is now. It's right around the corner. I am the light. I am that holy one. I am the one and only that Zechariah talked about. And if you will listen to my words, you will drink of that water. That's what Jesus is preaching. And so when we come down to John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus is continuing that discussion. And he spoke to them. Verse 12, John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The idea of light looks to the light when the nations would come to the king in Jerusalem. And there is going to be a great division. There is going to be a valley. Some of those were going to be on one side and some were going to be on the other. Some were going to believe and follow and some of them would flatly reject. And Jesus says, I am that one. There are some that are going to choose to continue walking in darkness, but there are going to be some that follow. Look at that. Will have life. Some would accept, but some would not. Look at John chapter 8, verse 25. So they were saying to him, Who are you? This is the Jewish leadership again. Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who has sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Jesus says, here's my message. It comes from God the Father. It is the, it is the, the, the light that can change your life. The idea of light is pervasive in the book of John. The contrast between day and night, light and darkness. John uses that analogy or uses that imagery throughout his gospel. Notice how he uses it to introduce who Jesus is in the very opening chapter, the very opening verses of this gospel. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. In him, that is in the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. You see what John's doing here? He's talking about Jesus being that light that comes into the world, and the mission of the light was to be able to shine a contrast in the world, to be that piercing light shining in darkness, to say, this is what God wants. This is how you can have light. This is how you can be brought back into a right relationship with God. Jesus was that light shining down, not so that you can see a quarterback throw a ball, not so that you can see if the running back's going to make it around the edge of the corner, but so that you can see how to live your life, how to be right with God, how to have that eternal life. And so Jesus says, look, guys, I only speak. My Father has me to speak so that you can be free from sin. You can have life. Notice verses 28 following. John chapter 8, verse 28 following. Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative. I speak these things as my Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me, has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father. Therefore, also you do the things which you have heard from your Father. And then Jesus goes on to tell the Jewish leaders that they're the sons of the devil. Pretty strong language if we were to read the entire chapter. But you see, Jesus says, I came as a light in the world to speak words of truth, to speak the words whereby you can be free from sin so that you can be free indeed. We hear people say all the time, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But did you notice what Jesus said right before that? If you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth. Then you will truly be my disciple and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That was the light that Jesus was shedding. That's why Jesus is the light of the world, because he brings in this message of freedom from sin, being brought back into a right relationship with God. But you see the way we have to respond to that light. We've talked about the light. Jesus being the light. Jesus being the bearer of that message. Here's how you have life. 
Here's how you can have that. The question for us is how do we respond to that life? How do we respond to that message? And so we look again at two key passages in this section of Scripture. Again, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, or truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The first response that we have to have is to continue in his word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not simply that you will know the truth and be free, but we must continue in his word. Simply believing is not enough. We must live by Jesus' word. When Jesus says, you continue in my word, then you will truly be disciples of mine. Think about that statement, if you continue in my word. What does that mean? Does it simply mean I hear the message about Jesus and I believe it and, well, that's good and great for everybody? The idea of continuing in the word means that you are living in that word. You know that word and it guides your life. It changes your life. Your decision making that you do day in and day out, week after week, month after month, the priorities that you set are all tied to how do, how do you know that word and how do you follow that word? Continuing in that word. It's not just something you pay lip service to. It's something that guides how you live your life. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free because you choose to follow Christ and you are his disciple. You pattern your life after Jesus. A little bit later on in the text, Jesus says, if you keep my word, you will never see Think about that. If you continue in my word, if you keep my word, you will never see death. That idea of keep means to do his word, following his word. You will never see death. You will be free from sin, never to be a slave to sin. Sometimes in the church, we hear that we place too much dependence on Jesus' word. Our emphasis is on continuing and keeping the word. And maybe we should liven things up a little bit. Sometimes we hear folks say, you know, you can't just always have lessons and discussions and Bible studies and, and sermons that are, that are squarely focused on the word of God. Sometimes you have to make things generic and broad and fun-filled because otherwise people are going to get bored with things. You're just not going to reach so many folks. But Jesus clearly says here, if you continue in my word, if you keep my word. A few chapters later, in John's Gospel, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Jesus is now in the last hours of his life, and he's there with his disciples. In John chapter 15, and he's telling them, you are going to be the ones that carry my message forward. That's what all of John 14, 15, and 16 is all about. But I want you to notice what Jesus tells his 11 disciples that remain about their message. 
Notice what he says to them. John chapter 15, verses 10 through 14. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I love you. What does Jesus say they need? You need to keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my love will abide in you just as my Father's love abides in me. Notice verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus was the light in the world because his message illuminated how we can have light and pierced the darkness with a message that you can be free from sin. You can be free from the bondage of sin. But Jesus says, in order for that to happen, you can't just hear my words. You have to believe them and keep them and follow them. As a light pierces the darkness and shines on the field of this world, it's not simply so that we can sit back and watch others make the play. The light serves the purpose of guiding us so that we can make it to the final goal, to the final home, and spending eternity with us. And if you're here this morning and you need to be reconciled with God, maybe there's some sin in your life that you want to repent of and you need the prayers of the church to help you overcome, or maybe you need to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to baptism, whatever you need, once you come. Together we stand and sing.